Welcome to a special offering by Conversations with a Wounded Healer, the Burnt Out Practice Owner. This series will discuss the current state of group practice ownership, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll hear current and former practice owners' tales of glory and woe as we attempt to answer the ultimate question, why do we do this to ourselves? And we want to hear from you too. What have been your biggest moments of struggle or triumph? What are questions you want us to explore? I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I owned and operated my practice Head Heart Therapy for 10 years before selling in 2023. Ownership was an equally grueling and rewarding experience for me, and I now spend my time helping current practice owners find balance for themselves. Join us between releases of Conversations with a Wounded Healer for this special series. Welcome to the Burnt Out Practice Owner. Thank you for being here. Your presence is so appreciated. You know what also would be appreciated? If you share this with others, rate and review on Apple Podcast, or reach out to me directly at sarah at headheartbiztherapy.com or headheartbiztherapy on Instagram or Facebook. I really, 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 really want feedback for this particular podcast series because I think it is so important that we kind of peel back the layers and look at group practice from a really authentic and honest space. So I can't do that in the best way possible unless I hear from you and you tell me what you want. So I've been trying to put this out there and have more people's eyes on it. But if you're hearing it and you like what I'm putting down, please share it so that other people can check it out as well. Also, just to note while we're here, I have been consulting with practice owners Really, my sweet spot is supporting people around like HR sort of personnel issues. I've got this amazing training uh, from this organization called The Right Use of Power that I love to use with group practices because it talks about feedback. It talks about, you know, owning our own responsibility and not necessarily putting it on other people, which is great for places where employees are really saying they have no power and they're being exploited. It's amazing. So if you're interested in any services around that, you can reach out to me by the methods I have already told you about. Let's get on with the show. Today's guest was referred to me by Annie Schusler, who you just heard the last episode of The Burnt Out Practice Owner. And she is a delight. I'm going to have her on an episode of Conversations with a Wounded Healer at some point to talk more about her journey. But she is a badass practice owner who knows her boundaries and she's doing it. So I'm really excited for you to hear from her. So please meet Alicia Taverner. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist with a small group practice in Rancho Cucamonga, California, and her team helps couples improve their communication, connection, and joy. They use modalities like Gottman therapy, brain spotting, and ketamine-assisted psychotherapy to create a unique and healing experience for the couples that they see. So please enjoy my wonderful conversation with Alicia Taverner. Hey there, therapist. How you doing? If you're like a lot of people out there, maybe you need a little bit more support than usual. Well, I've got you covered. I'm currently running two groups that I plan to run again in the fall of 2024. So add your name to the waitlist to be notified as soon as info is available. First is the Burnt Out Practice Owner Support Group for group therapy practice owners. We'll focus on the emotional component of business ownership while building trust and connection with other practice owners. We'll explore topics such as boundary setting, feeling underappreciated, overwork, and find ways to reconnect with our agency. 
and you'll also have the support of other practice owners when challenges arise within your business. Next is the Authentic Leaders Group. It's here to help you become the authentic and wholehearted leader you aspire to be. Join me on an eight-month journey of self-discovery and leadership mastery, where you'll enhance your leadership skills and forge meaningful connections with fellow therapists who are committed to their own growth and the betterment of the therapy field. For the Burnt Out Practice Owner waitlist, go to www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash burnt out. Make sure you've got the T and B-U-R-N-T-O-U-T. And next is the Authentic Leaders Group waitlist at www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash authentic dash leaders dash group. Hope to see you soon. Hello, Alicia. Welcome to the Burnt Out Practice Owner. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? (laughs) I'm pretty good. I'm no longer a burnt out practice owner, so it helps, actually. Good. I've actually never been a burnt out practice owner. (laughs) Okay, humble brag. Well, I mean, we're going to get into all of the why that is the case for you and, and I think hopefully reveal some Reveal some nuggets for some folks who are feeling burnt out and struggling with it. But I'd love for you to introduce yourself to folks in a way that feels delicious to you. Sure. So I'm Alicia Taverner. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I own a small private practice in Rancho Cucamonga, California. That is a real place. (laughs) And we specialize in working with couples. We do infidelity recovery. We do brain spotting and ketamine-assisted therapy, but our jam is couples. Awesome. I have heard really good things about brain spotting. That may be a training in my future. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah. And my clients love it too. That's really cool. How long have you owned your practice? Oh, I'm really bad at math. (laughs) It seems like forever. (laughs) What year did you start then? You don't have to Uh, do the math. 2010, I believe. (laughs) So 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I mean, and that is long haul. It is. I mean, but of course it started small, right? You know, I Mm -hmm. worked for community mental health and nonprofit organizations and had a little tiny practice in the evenings. Mm -hmm. And then everywhere that I worked, I was just talking to a friend the other day and she's like, what if I get laid off? I'm like, do you know how many times I've been laid off? And she's like, no. I'm like, yeah, every time, every job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, nonprofits lose funding and yeah, it's a normal occurrence. So I just was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's actually, I was burnt out. Okay. So I'll take it back. Yeah. (laughs) In community mental health and nonprofit organizations. So, and then I had a baby and we lost funding for a program. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. This is like the perfect opportunity for me to build a practice. And so I started, yeah, I remember like going on maternity leave and then thinking like, oh, yeah, I'll just come back like slowly. And then by the (laughs) time I went like was coming back, it was just like full steam. And so then I moved into like a group practice, um, which I hired one clinician, Mm -hmm. a group of two, a group of two. And I was still like subleasing space. And then I moved into a bigger office and like my own space. Yeah. And it's just been like progressed from there. The most therapists that I've had working for me have been three Mm -hmm. and we don't take any insurance. It's all cash pay. So it's a different model than most, I think, group practices that we're used to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
the numbers, I was just meeting with a practice owner who has 10 now, I think. And it was so funny. She, I asked her how many she had, because this is a, like a consulting call. I'm like, so how many clinicians you have? She's like, I don't fucking know. I have to go to the website and look every time and count. And that's what I always said, too, which tells you that there's too many. Like, if you literally can't remember how many, and this is not judging anybody for doing that, a lot of us get stuck in this space. But like three, four, maybe even five is usually a sweet space where you don't really have to have like the overhead, all of the policies and procedures don't feel quite so laborious. Like, tell me, well, I guess the question is, because the trap I see people fall in is, I have all the referrals, so I have to grow because I have to be able to accept all of these clients or everybody else is growing, so I should do it. So like, how did you listen to yourself <laughs> to stay small? So I think one of the things that always comes up for me in, you know, when you do like your core values and all of these things, and like I've been through like business coaching and all kinds of different stuff. And the thing that always comes back for me is integrity. And I have always been of the mindset that if I can't give my last client that I'm seeing for the day or the week, the same service that I'm giving my first client, then it's not a good fit. Yeah, I've never seen more than maybe 18 clients in a week. Mm -hmm. I don't allow my staff to see more than 18 clients in a week. Because the work life balance is so has always been so important to me. Yeah, I want to live a life that feels full and fulfilling. And I want that to, I mean, that's a trickle down effect too. And I don't think that you can show up and be your best self and give the care that your clients really deserve if you're not taking care of yourself. And I remember like being in therapy and, you know, like in grad school, you know, when you have to like go to therapy and stuff like that. And I would, just... oh, we don't as social workers. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. So I wish we, we had that. To go to therapy. <laughs> but I remember like showing up and, and I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I remember showing up to this woman's office and it looked like a community mental health, but this was her practice, yeah. her private practice. It looked like a community mental health center. Like mm -hmm. she had, you know, got the leftover stuff from her garage yep. and she just looked so frazzled. And I thought mm. like, I don't think you can help me Yeah, because just the way that you show up in the room, I number one, feel your anxiety and your energy. And that had always just stuck with me. I mean, I did like one session and then I was like, yeah, nope, that's not, this isn't what I'm looking for. Mm. But also I just always had that in mind of like, I never want to be that. Yeah, I want to be a place where my clients can have a really soft landing mm -hmm. where they can be comfortable to feel like they can open their hearts and mm -hmm. really embody what we're working through. And that takes a lot, right? It's not just like yeah. hanging up your shingle and opening the door to anybody who comes through. So yeah. having a, a very niche practice, I think is important. But yeah, I just never wanted to be burnt out again. And I mm -hmm. never want my staff to feel that way. I also want to have a personal relationship, right? Like with the people that I'm training. So is that is uh, one of the questions I was going to ask is why why do the clinicians stay with you with your practice? Is it because you offer niche training to them? 
yes, because they want to learn to work with couples. There's not a lot of places where you can get experience working with couples and because Mm. you treat them well. Mm-hmm. It's fun, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good learning environment. I take my time and I'm very intentional about the conversations that I have and what I want to, what I want our clients to experience, right? And so, I mean, then there's like the other, I guess, camp who's like, oh, well, you're supposed to be a bleeding heart and you're supposed to help everybody. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, no. <laughs> but also, yeah, there's other ways that you can give people access to, you know, like I do a lot of speaking in the community. I write Mm -hmm. free um, newsletters, blog posts, put out tons of information for free. And so I see that as like giving back to the community, not in the sense of like, I have to have a sliding scale or I have to take every insurance under the sun. Like, to be perfectly honest with you, I just am not good at paperwork. And so when I first started, I was like, oh, that seems like a lot of paperwork. I, I don't think I'll do that. And then that just always stuck. And then, you know, I heard all the horror stories of like insurance. And I've also had a lot of friends who have opened like very large practices, group practices, and they tell me terrible things that their their staff people do, right? Like about how they have to write them up because they're cleaning out the refrigerator while they're doing, you know, or doing a psychic reading or like crazy things that I've heard and I'm like which I'm into psychic readings but not as a therapist you can't charge you can't charge people for that in a therapy session yeah just very unethical and Mm. the fact that this clinician who you know got into this business because they really want to help as many people as they can but now as a practice owner you're spending all of your time just managing people Yes. And she, you know, one of my friends, like, she's like, yeah, like, I don't see clients anymore. I don't have time yeah. because you're yeah. babysitting. Mm-hmm. And that's just never been something that I wanted to do. I have three of my own kids. I don't, I don't want to do that. You have really good boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Like, I mean, that's the vibe I get is that you, I mean, the confidence in trusting yourself to know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. That's, not what I'm seeing. A lot of people, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guessing that comes from you doing your own personal work. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot yeah. of my own work for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, it shows. I but mean, you what- can't do that. You can't do that if you're seeing, you know, 40 clients a week, right? Nope. You can't do that if you're managing 20 plus people. Um, yep. So, that's always been important to me. And just like, honestly, like, I don't really want to work that much. Like, I like my life. I like to spend time with, like, imagine that, right? Like, I like to spend time with my kids. And I like to, like, I have my own hobbies and interests and things that fulfill me. And I want time to do that. So I've Mm -hmm. just always been maybe like a lazy entrepreneur in the sense (laughs) that, like, how can I? I love that. That's going to be the title of the episode. (laughs) Alicia Taverner, the lazy entrepreneur. (laughs) How can I have the most fun and work the least? That's always been what I was looking for. <laughs> do you know the Enneagram? I do. I, I, I'm not like totally. Um, okay. You're not into it? Because I'm I'm feeling seven vibes from you, which is like, mm. yeah, the seven is all about like pleasure and fun and enjoying things. And yeah. that would make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> Let's talk like specifics then, because I think, you know, Part of the issue that seems to be happening in the group practice realm right now is everyone's comparing apples to oranges, right? So, you know, people hear you saying like, well, my staff 
only see a max of 18 and there are other people who like have to see 25 or more, right? Like let's compare apples to apples. So what's the pay structure for your staff? So my staff are employees. Mm-hmm. So they're paid okay. an, an hourly. Yes, they're paid okay. an hourly rate. Flat rate? Flat rate. An hourly, yeah, flat rate. Okay. They, pay, they get paid. Session time is higher. Uh-huh. And then our admin time, which is mostly like supervision time, um, mm-hmm. is a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Right now, I think we're at $55 an hour. Mm-hmm. For clinical? For clinical hours. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then there's increases for like once they get licensed. But everything goes back to my numbers, right? And like what makes sense for how much I need to take home, how much, right? Like, and just because they get paid 65, like the rest of the, you know, 195, like the rest does not go into my pocket, right? And that's what people don't understand because it goes to all of our overhead, right? Like paying for our EHR, paying for our office, paying for all of the supplies and everything that it takes to actually run the business, not to mention like all of the taxes and employment tax, like all of that stuff is, is, it's expensive. Yep. (laughs) But I think that's why that people then have these big machines, right? Of like, well, we have to have more employees because, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think before we started talking, I said like, but then people tout these like vanity numbers of like, oh, we did a million dollars this year. Okay. But that doesn't mean, yeah, that doesn't mean that. Gross. Right. That's what you took home. How, like, how much are you are you taking home? Yeah, let's break that down <laughs> real quick for folks who don't know. So, and I always I forgot this for the longest time, but gross revenue is just whatever comes in. Net mm-hmm. revenue is what you actually take home for the business, right? So, someone could be doing a million dollars in revenue gross, but mm-hmm. only take home, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, which that's pretty normal. That's 10%, which like 10 to 20% is usually the the sweet spot for a business to make a profit. But you're right. Like people could also be making zero net mm-hmm. and okay. nobody shares their net numbers, which <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, yeah, our net was usually between 10 to 15% at my practice that I owned. Do you know offhand what yours is? I don't. I know last year was a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because in like the coaching space or when, you know, people are teaching you how to run a group practice, they're always talking about these vanity numbers. And I'm just like, OK, well, yeah. what, how much are you actually taking home? Because those numbers get really big. Yeah. And it becomes a lot of people and a lot of things to manage to make probably the same thing that I make. Right. right. And am able to take home just having this little practice. Like, yes, I have to work a lot harder when it comes to marketing my business because that's all on me, right? Mm -hmm. You were saying like the people coming in, like we're inundated. Well, that's not the case when you don't take insurance. Right. You have to pound the pavement and get all of the business coming in through different referral sources. But to me, that's a trade-off that I'm willing to take Mm -hmm. to not have somebody else's hand in my business, in my pocket, right? Like the insurance Mm -hmm. company is saying yes or no and clawbacks and all of the things that I hear. Yeah. Which sounds just exhausting and stressful. It is exhausting and stressful. And truth be told, different markets sort of make, not that they make the choice for you, because I mean, 
my therapist, I pay her 170 an hour out of pocket because she specializes in what I want. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I'm willing to pay that. Like if I'm not willing to pay that, then I'm actually not living out my values. But in the Chicago area, most people expect that they will be using their insurance. And so in California, it sounds like maybe not in your particular area, but overall in California, it sounds like people are more used to paying out of pocket. Is that your mm-hmm. experience? I think, yeah. And especially for couples counseling, you know, it is a more specialized service where even if you have insurance, it's probably not going to be covered. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it it depends. It depends on the, it depends Mm -hmm. on the insurance company. It depends on the plan. It depends on like, there's so many different variables. Because you guys have a lot of Kaiser and I've heard not great things about Kaiser's reimbursement, right? Because like Blue Cross Blue Shield, I mean, almost definitely reimburses that CPT code. But yeah, these like, these are the things that when employees are looking for work somewhere, they have no idea about this stuff and nor should they have to, right? Like it's not their job, but Again, just like it's so, so important instead of just blaming a practice owner because you're not making X amount of money, like you have to look at the bigger picture and like why this is run the way that it's run. And these are small businesses. Like even if somebody has 50 therapists, that's still a small business compared to like Amazon or Google. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> right. But like 50, like that is just like, I, no, that makes me want to throw up. I can't. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. At my most, I think it was 15. And I, I just, I couldn't. No, that's just so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I think maybe for the time, maybe I'm controlling. I don't know. <laughs> the lazy controlling entrepreneur. Yeah. Like I want to make sure that you're there on time. I want to make yeah. sure that, you know, our outcomes are outstanding. Right. And yeah. yes, we can't help everybody because they come to right. us on life support and expect us to, right. you know, be magicians. But mm-hmm. for the most part, like the outcomes have always been really, really important to me as well. And so like the machine just can't function. I just yeah. can't do like that, you know, yeah. people coming in and coming out. Yeah. I think that's also, I think LMFTs are different and especially in in California because you can go straight into private practice once you graduate, right? Is that? Yes. Okay. So you don't have the preliminary licensure like we do in Illinois. Yeah. So this is the other thing that's different and good for people to know. So if you graduate with your, you know, your marriage and family therapist, your social worker, your counseling degree, they have a preliminary license where they cannot work independently until they have their clinical license. And so there's been a shift in that those folks used to go to community mental health to get a lot of their training, get their sea legs right in the field, and then they would go to private practices. So they would go to private practices trained. Mm-hmm. And so when I started over 10 years ago, I was able to get really seasoned clinicians and not worry about the quality of the work mm-hmm. because I know they, they'd they been working in the field for 10 years or however long. And now because people are coming straight from out of school, there is a lot more labor on the managers and the and the boss to make sure that the outcomes and the product that's being delivered in the therapy is, is actually good. And what we've got going on in Chicago, practices haven't really been set up for that. Like I know some folks have really excellent in-house training programs, but most I would guess do not. But it sounds like because that was important to you, and you stayed small, you could do it. You could actually actualize that that dream (laughs) rather than have to let that go as you grow. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when MFTs are in school, I think they cannot work for a private practice, but after they graduate, they can work in private practice, but everybody wants to get their hours quicker. And so they do tend to work for community mental health. A lot of my staff, they've always had other jobs and they come to me and they're like, I really want to work with couples, Mm. right? Like I really, that's why I went to school, but in community mental health, you can't get those hours. You might get a few here and there, but they Mm. really want the specialized training and working with couples. So Mm -hmm. because I was so lazy in the beginning, I just was like, yeah, I'll work with couples and I won't take insurance. We'll just do that. And I didn't realize like later looking around like, oh, I'm actually probably doing it a little bit of the hard way, but that's kind of how I do things, I guess. I mean, not necessarily. It, again, it sounds like you really are prioritizing what you want for yourself mm-hmm. and then figuring out a way to get there. And yeah, I mean, you brought up a good point that's really important for people to recognize that I had a supervisee who had just graduated. She's a social worker, went to private practice and realized, oh, it's going to take me three years to get my hours instead of one and a half that it would take if I were in a 40-hour-a-week job because social workers can count all of their time, not just their clinical time, towards their licensure. And so that's also something that I don't think newly graduated folks are thinking about because if you're only seeing 20 clients a week and doing maybe Mm -hmm. five hours of like meetings paperwork, that's Mm -hmm. 25. That's like almost half of so it's going to take you double the time and we need a lot of hours in california yeah yeah i think lmfts do everywhere but especially i heard in california it's really rigorous yeah yeah three thousand yeah hours Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah and they're all direct clinical right yes i mean you cap out at like 50 or i can't remember it's so low for the admin hours but yeah Mm -hmm. it's all direct face-to-face yeah yeah well what is your favorite thing about being a practice owner? Mm, My favorite thing is training. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing is, I think most people have to have a little bit of a thick skin when they work with couples. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of energy in the room. (laughs) And so so there's a certain type of therapist, I think, that Mm -hmm. is attracted to that kind of work. But my favorite part is training and seeing the growth in the therapists, you know, Mm -hmm. from when they start to, you know, when they leave or just when they get a lot more experience and they feel comfortable and confident. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's really fun to see them develop. And I take a lot of pride in the training that I give. Yeah. Um, so that they can feel 100% confident and comfortable when they're in the room. Mm-hmm. And that includes yeah. a lot of like more personal development too, right? Yes. So being a supervisor is, yeah, like here is all the to-dos and not to-dos and the training stuff, but then like, how are you, mm-hmm. right? And that's part, I think that's always been a really interesting part of like being a, a clinical supervisor because in any other type of profession where you're supervising, it's like, do, do the task. Here are the tasks. Here are the things that we're measuring. We're going to measure you on ABCD and then that's it. And there's no more questions asked. Right. Yeah. And here it's like, okay, well, how do you feel about being in the room with the client? Right. And right. What, what does that bring up for you? And let's talk about your trauma and all, you know, all of these different variables and things that come mm-hmm. up. So having that really personal relationship that we develop, it's a professional relationship, but 
you can't help but make it more personal than, you know, I'm not a supervisor at Home Depot. Right, right. Though that would be interesting. How do you feel about this lumber? Yeah. That would be an interesting. How do you feel about the way that client treated you (laughs) (laughs) when you couldn't give them a refund? (laughs) Right, right. Well, and this is probably one of the number one things. Well, the number one thing I hear from people who want to start a group practice is first they want passive income. And I'm like, passive income is a myth. That's bullshit. And then the second thing I hear, it's like, well, I love supervising. If you stay small, then you can do it. But if you are more than five people, I'm going to say you're not going to be a very good supervisor because you're going to be more focused on managing than supervising. Management and supervision to completely separate skill sets, Mm -hmm. completely separate things that need to be discussed in meetings around that. So for anybody who is small, stay small. Just stay small. Listen to Alicia. But I'd love for you to share with folks, is there something that you wish you would have known before you started your group practice that you would give as sort of advice to people thinking about it? Mm, I think I would have waited a little bit longer and felt what it would have been like to have a waiting list Mm. and to explore other things, right? Like, okay, I'm full, but what else can I offer beyond Mm. just face-to-face like can I do some workshops can I do retreats because I do intensives and retreats and ketamine assisted therapy but those have all come simultaneously while the practice has grown and I sometimes wonder what it would have been like to like not manage people to not have to worry about like the hiring firing and the marketing because I had made such a good name for myself in the community. And yeah, it was easy to fill one person. Like it's easy to fill my schedule, right? Yeah. And so there is a lot of pressure that I feel to keep people coming in to keep my clinicians schedules filled because they do rely on me for, you know, financially. Sometimes they're lucky to not, right? And like, oh, I just really want the experience and I want the hours. But Mm -hmm. that's not, that's not usually the case. Yeah. So I think I would have explored what that might look like before, right? And like have a waiting list and like, oh, I'm doing all these fun retreats or these different things that I really wanted to do Mm -hmm. before creating more responsibility for myself. I mean, it's all responsibility, but I think there's a difference when you're responsible for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to figure out what you can do other than one-on-one sessions, you can talk to our friend, Annie Schusler, because yeah. that is her specialty. Exactly. We just, just had Annie on as a guest. And so go chat with Annie, listen to Rebel Therapist podcast if you want to figure out what else you can do rather than opening a group practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is delightful. And like I said before, any friend of Annie's is a friend of mine. So I appreciate uh, you being here. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the special Burnt Out Practice Owner series. If you want more information about today's guest, go to our website at www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing. And I'm your host, Sarah Buino. Until next time. Bye-bye.